So the first reading tonight is from Jeremiah chapter 29. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiachin and the Queen Mother, the court officials and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the skilled workers and the craftsmen had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to Elisa, son of Shaphan, and to Gemariah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. It said, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. Then you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. You may say, the Lord has raised up prophets for us in Babylon. But this is what the Lord says about the king who sits on David's throne and all the people who remain in this city, your fellow citizens who did not go with you into exile. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I will send the sword, famine, and plague against them, and I will make them like figs that are so bad they cannot be eaten. I will pursue them with the sword, famine, and plague, and will make them abhorrent to all the kingdoms of the earth a curse and an object of horror, of scorn and reproach among all the nations where I drive them. For they have not listened to my words, declares the Lord, words that I send to them again and again by my servants, the prophets. And you exiles have not listened either, declares the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And our second reading this evening comes from 1 Peter, chapter 2, beginning at verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, 
offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There's an expression we all heard this week, things are going to get worse before they get better. I heard the Premier say it on Thursday with respect to the lockdown. Worse than better. It's a phrase that adjusts our expectations but gives us hope, a path really through worse to better. The expression could sum up stop six in our nine-week series in God's megastory, The Exile. Of course, it's much more profound than this and stark too. The Exile is less like worse than better, more like death than resurrection. That's the exile in a nutshell, you'll see. And it's why the Messiah had to die, and after this, he had to rise from the dead. For his journey down to death and up again in resurrection is Israel's journey, and it's ours too, and indeed the world's as well. That famous C.S. Lewis quote, I love it, in the Christian story, God goes down to come up again and bring the whole ruined world with him. Now, remember last week, under David, Israel was an oak, an oak they thought that could not be cut down. They were confident that they were favoured by God, children of the promise, therefore Solomon's temple would stand, the land could not be taken away, that they were right and everyone else was wrong including the nations around them. You know that famous line from the Titanic story, this ship can't sink, at the risk of spoiling the plot. Watch this clip. Israel had a dose of this ship can't sink, but sink they did to death. And that sinking is what we call the exile. We are, of course, in a series called Stops in God's Mega Story, and Stop 6 reaches back to Stops 1 to 5, and is the gravity that swings us on to Stops 7 to 9. And yet the exile is often ignored to our detriment. 
Five questions on your downloaded outline if you're writing notes. One, what is the exile? Two, what did it feel like? Three, why did it happen? Four, what was the future for them and then for us? And lastly, how were they to live during the exile? First, what is the exile? Well, it is the depressed period in the history of God's people where they were forcibly removed from the land God had promised to Abraham, a land to which Moses took them, which Joshua conquered, and King David secured. The Hebrew word for exile is related to the word naked, or removed, or banished. They were banished to a foreign land, a land hostile to God. How do you live there? They were stripped naked and, and uh, taken to Babylon and Assyria as well. The banishment intentionally mirrors the story of Adam and Eve being banished from the garden. That was the first exile. Don't know if you know the song Boney M by the rivers of Babylon. They were just quoting Psalm 137. It's a bit chirpy, but here's the line carried us away in captivity, required of us a song. Now how shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? By the rivers of Babylon, there we wept. When was the exile? Well, that's a bit like saying, when was the Cold War? There are many answers to that question, but the simplest answer is that the exile is approximately 70 years from 587 BC, when Jerusalem was sacked by the Babylonians, they turned the temple into a car parking lot, until 538 BC, when Cyrus the Persian allowed the exiles to return, or 516 BC, when the second temple was dedicated in Jerusalem. You see it in Jeremiah 29. This is what the Lord says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill all my good promise and bring you back to this place. But the truth is the exile story starts hundreds of years before and the exile becomes the context for the life of Jesus hundreds of years later because they were never really home, even during the time of Jesus. The context is that the king thing went pear-shaped after David. There were some bright moments and some good kings, but those moments were more like firecrackers, bright but short. Check out Josiah finding the Bible and reading it and taking it seriously for the first time in 2 Kings 22. With the power grabbing, the kingdoms split into two. The northern kingdom, Israel, had its capital in Samaria, and the southern kingdom, Judah, had its capital in Jerusalem. In 722 BC, it's a good day to remember, in 722 BC, the Assyrians marched on the land, the king of Assyria captured Samaria and deported the Israelites to Assyria, 2 Kings 17 verse 5. That purple line there doesn't really let you grasp the horror of it. A lot of blood, a lot of suffering, a lot of displacement. That's the north. What about the south? Well, the southern kingdom watched nervously, but thought, yep, tick, we're okay, temple's still here, 
God is still with us, we can do what we want, but within 130 years, by the way, that's less than the life of St. Philip's and the Garrison Church's buildings. It's nothing. The South went to, in 587 BC, another good date to remember, 587 BC, not this time by the hand of the Assyrians, but by the hand of the Babylonians. That's the green line you see there. Nebuchadnezzar set fire to the temple of the Lord, the royal palace and all the houses of Jerusalem. So Judah went into captivity away from her land. 2 Kings 25. The exile is, um, <laughs> you might call it the mystery part of the Bible, and yet it's like a third, maybe, of your Bible is about the exile, the reasons for it and the reflection on it. And this section here is the context for the life of Jesus. I think it's a mystery because it's more complicated and it's huge. Um, and there are just lots of prophecies and lots of words and lots of challenges and lots of lament and lots of poetry. There's weird things that weird prophets do. There's lots of names and cities and towns you've never heard of. It just feels so distant and it's also, it's so negative. It really is lots of blood. And you might say, well, why can't we dwell on the positive things? Jewish theologian Abraham Herschel really helped me many years ago when I read this quote. Expositors of the teaching of the prophets, that's people like me, they are prone to dwell upon passages which seem to conform to their views and preferences. And so the harsh words, the grave threats, the relentless demands are usually disregarded. But, he writes, there are hurricanes in the world as well as lilies. There are hurricanes in the world as well as lilies. If you put your head in the sand, if I can put it this way, dealing with lilies alone leaves you unprepared for life and living in a complex and an unjust world. Dealing in lilies alone, you get the metaphor, right? It leaves you unable to face your own sin, your own complicit sin in our world. We need the hurricanes. We need the truth. Many of us access the exile through the story of Daniel and we access the story of the return from exile by reading the book of Nehemiah. Now, the reason we know those stories is because they're stories and they're pretty sim relatively simple ones and they're often taught in Sunday school. That's the exile. What did it feel like? It felt like death. Your whole world fallen apart around you. It felt like nakedness, like loss, like a kick in the guts. It felt like a hurricane, not a lily. It felt like you were sitting in the pigsty of your own choices, Luke 15. It felt like hell. And just as an aside, you should know that the primary images that Jesus used when he speaks about hell are simply quotes from Israel's period in exile. The prophet Ezekiel was given a vision from God, a vision made famous by the famous American spiritual Dem Bones. Google it if you haven't heard it. Dem Bones, Dem Bones, 
them dry bones. Come straight from Ezekiel 37, God led Ezekiel to a valley. God showed him around, we're told he walked him to and fro. And all, they, all he see, all Ezekiel sees are a great many dry bones and God asked him, son of man, can these bones live? Ezekiel doesn't know. He knows that dry bones don't come to life. The bones we find out are Israel in exile. Then God said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up. Our hope is gone. We are cut off. That's how it feels. In fact, they are dead in their transgressions and sins, Ezekiel, Ephesians chapter 2. And they're looking for a resurrection. Lockdown is where your government sends you to your own home for your benefit. At least that's the theory. Exile is different. Exile is where a bloodthirsty despot sends you to a foreign land for your destruction. Or worse, your assimilation. That is the deadening of your identity by the use of violence and intimidation and power. Many of us know what it feels like to, a little bit to be in exile. We feel a little bit opposed or we live in a world that's hostile to God. But it's hard to access if you've just grown up in Australia and you live free. And I do often wonder if the group in our world that most connects with this are those who are forced out of their home because of family and domestic violence. It feels horrible. Why then did it happen? Well, there's lots of suffering and displacement in our world, but this happened, the exile, it happened and it's unique to ancient Israel. And the simple answer is, God was behind it. God was thundering ahead of the Assyrian army, Joel chapter 2, verse 11. This was judgment for sin, for their sin, specific judgment, for their arrogance, their hardness of heart, their treatment of others. In the exile we're told, this is the day of the Lord, a day of clouds and blackness, a day of the wrath of the Lord. It's a reckoning. All this took place because the Israelites had sinned against the Lord their God who had brought them up out of Egypt under the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, 2 Kings 17. The saying in Numbers 32 is universally true. Beware, your sin will find you out. But this, as I say, is unique to Israel. You shouldn't think of all displacement in this way, or all displacement is evil, but not all displacement has God ahead of it. If I can put it that way, in the same way. Moses is key here, because the claim is made in Deuteronomy. Moses said from God, God, God says, I rescued you, I gave you the land, now hear my voice, love me, obey me, worship me, and you will live long in the land. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 17 God says, I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that, that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him for the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. But, warning, but, if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, if you are drawn away, to bow down to other gods and worship them. 
I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. This is not sort of an empty threat designed to control any more than the words that Jesus said about hell are an empty threat designed to control. No, they are a loving warning meant to drive you back to the Lord your God. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 29. But if from there in exile you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. The sin of Israel comes in these forms. One, worshipping anything other than God as God or even as, as an ultimate. And trusting in that God. Two, not seeking, not inquiring of God and related. Thirdly, not caring about what the Bible says or ignoring it. Four, backsliding. Five, mistreating the poor and the least. In, indeed, mistreating anyone. Six, greed and sexual sin because they have the same father, lust. Seven, compromising with bullies because you're afraid of them so you do deals with Assyria or with Babylon as the kings did. In other words, you didn't live trusting God. You don't fear the Lord. That's why Israel went into exile, because as the Apostle Paul says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They thought they were right, the nations around them were wrong, but it's not true. Judgment comes, Paul says, to Jew first, then the Gentile, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's why they went into exile. So what was their future beyond exile? It's going to get worse. Things are going to get worse before they get better. But it does get better. In exile, it does get better, not because of wishful thinking or the power of positivity or even evidence of the better. Because when they come back from exile, it's better, but not much better. In the exile, things get better because of the promises made by God. We live by faith, not by sight. Habakkuk famously said, though the fig tree does not blossom, though there are no, there's no fruit on the vine, yet I rejoice in the Lord. But in the exilic and post-exilic prophets comes the most spectacular, the most wonderful, the most impossible promises of God. And they are larger in many ways than anything that has been promised beforehand. They are about life after death. In many ways, they are about resurrection. Remember Ezekiel 36 and the Valley of Jai Bones? God said to me, son of bones, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up. Our hope is gone. We are cut off. And then you get this promise of the resurrection of Israel. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. I will put my spirit in you, my breath in you, and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. And Ezekiel watches them dry bones come together. They will be cleansed, forgiven, 
and given a new heart. They will return home, which means to God ultimately, but to the environment promised, the land. And the glory of God will return and fill the temple again. There will be a resurrection following the death and it will come via a new King David, a new Messiah who will bring the two nations together. The people of God will be ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. And his rule and mercy, the rule and mercy of God will become universal. The oak cut down becomes a stump. A shoot will come from the stump of Jesse, from the house of David, and the nations will gather to it. That was all last week. All nations will be blessed, as the promise to Abraham says, and and judgment will come to all those who oppose God and abuse others. Babylon will fall, and a new heavens and a new earth will be set up in, and that's talked about explicitly in Isaiah 65 and 66. Wait till we get to stop nine. And the exile is where you get this amazing word to the exiles. God says with reassurance, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then in exile you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and you'll find me when you seek me with all your heart. Ask, seek, knock. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity, borrowing from the Exodus story. John the Baptist was languishing in prison, trying to wonder if the exile was was over, whether the kingdom of God was going to come, and whether Jesus was indeed the Messiah. Jesus sends word back to John the Baptist. You tell him, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and good news is proclaimed to the poor. Luke 7, 22, all quotes from Isaiah in exile. The exile is death. The return is a resurrection, really a return to God. This is the way of God. The hurricane first, then the lily. This is why Jesus must die. Luke 9, 27. It's why he must be rejected. He must be killed. And on the third day, he must rise. For he is Israel, leading us through worse to better. Indeed, worst to best. Death to resurrection. I want you to look closely on this famous passage from Hosea 6, set in exile. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us, and on the third day, he will restore us, that we may live in his presence. Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. On the third day, he was raised again from the dead, and he will come again in glory, to judge both the quick and the dead. Can you see Jesus in the exile? Lewis again, in the Christian story, God goes down to come up again to bring the whole world world with him. And then he asks you to imagine a diver. First reducing himself to nakedness, then glancing in midair, then gone with a splash, 
vanished, rushing down through the green and warm water into black and cold water, down through the increasing pressure into the death-like region of ooze and slime and old decay, classic Lewis. But then up again, back to colour and light, his lungs almost bursting, then suddenly he breaks surface again, holding in his hand the dripping, precious thing that he went down to discover Jesus died and rose again. To get the precious thing he went down to recover. The precious thing is the kingdom of God and you in it. How were they then to live during it? Well, we, got, we get the gospel in the promises made in exile, but we also get to learn how to live. Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. The context of those words is the gospel. And then he tells us how to live repenting and believing. Living as aliens and exiles in this world. Living here as loving subversives because we belong to another. We don't belong to this world. We belong to, another. We belong to, to God. So we live like the exiles. For when we return... For when... Let me, when they... Let me start again. Lastly, how then were they to live? We get the gospel in the promises made in exile. But we also get how to live as aliens and exiles in this world. Living here in this world as loving subversives. Like those exiles then. Because when they returned from Babylon with all these promises, it turned out to be in theological terms, a fizzer. They returned, but the glory of God did not return to the, the temple. The Messiah didn't appear to have come, and they were still ruled by the Persians, and then the Greeks, and then the Romans. Look at them, huge power. That's Jesus' context when he saved us. But we are still waiting for him to return, and for the new heavens and the new earth. I get ahead of myself. We live in Babylon, not Jerusalem. Our home is with God in the new Jerusalem. Of course, to live in Jerusalem, we don't live there, but to live in Jerusalem is to be spiritually aligned with the culture. You believe, but so does the king, and so does the city, and so does the culture. That's not us. To live in Babylon is to be spiritually unaligned with the culture. You believe, but no one around you does. The government doesn't necessarily support it, and it's not always easy. That's us. That's each of us tomorrow morning. How do you live there? Well, we could fight it. But Jesus said, put away your sword. And my kingdom is not of this world. We could fight it. We could also give in and become like the world around us. And yet in the exile, and in Jeremiah 29 in particular, they're told that it's going to be a little while, like it's a little while for us. So hold on, keep trusting God. God will do his returning in his time. He'll establish the new Jerusalem and do away with the old Babylon in his time. So you get this early sense, even in the exile, of putting away your sword. God's got it in his hands. So don't be happy with the world around you and therefore assimilate, trying to fit in. That's easy. That's confluence. And don't always be angry and fighting, trying to make things right as if we can create utopia on earth. That's tempting. There's a third way to live. Jeremiah 29, letter to the exiles, live, build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce, marry, 
have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. And, even more surprisingly, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you in exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if Babylon prospers, you too will prosper. Now that's a word in context. It was a word to them then. You've got 70 years. Live well there. But Babylon eventually fell to God's justice, and we know that the spiritual Babylon, representing all evil against God, will fall. That's top nine. But the principle in Jeremiah 29 is set and then picked up by 1 Peter and applied then to us. Live well. In your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Contend for the gospel. Pray to God. Go to church. Do what's right, no matter what the cost. Don't get sucked in. Draw lines. Keep them. Don't buckle to the bully. So you've come to Jesus. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, Peter writes. But as you wait for God, calmly but profoundly reorder your life. Repent and believe with the lost in mind and with the future secure. Dear friends, I urge you, in the power of the Spirit, I urge you, as foreigners and as of exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. That's the real battle. Live such good lives in the world in which you live that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Amen.